Hi, this is Ian Khan. I'm the producer and host of the GX podcast and the GX video series. We're filming here at the World Government Summit 2023 in Dubai. And I have with me Rob Bulkart. Now, Rob Bulkart has an amazing introduction. He's the co-founder and chairman of the Twin Network. He's adjunct professor at Kellogg. He's adjunct professor at Booth in Chicago. And he's a board member at many, many, many different organizations. The list is too long. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. Great to be here in Dubai. It's such a pleasure having someone like you be in Dubai, attend World Government Summit, but also attend the GX Forum, the GX Talks, because we need leaders like you to help us understand what's going on in the world. Well, I appreciate that, Ian, but I'm most excited to be here because more than anywhere else I visit in the world, the future is being created here in Dubai, in the UAE. The rate of prototyping, of experimentation, of just trying things, and some of them work out great, uh, is higher here than maybe anywhere I've seen in the world. Now, you work across you know, universities, networks. You work across the newer generation of entrepreneurs who go and make amazing things. What are you seeing from more like a entrepreneurship life's you know uh, life cycle how, how is innovation happening these days well that's a big question i i have i invest in entrepreneurs i work with entrepreneurs but my research and teaching has been focused on large enterprises and governments and large nonprofits and how they try to innovate or fail to innovate as the case may be but i think one of the most exciting things to me compared to 20 years ago when i started in this field is that there's a lot more flow between large companies, governments, entrepreneurs, investors, than there was 10 or 20 years ago. And the flow isn't just, I'm gonna invest a little bit of money and hope it works. It's how can we work together to be more powerful, more uh, successful in taking not only the ideas and the, the new, which the entrepreneurs tend to be great at, but then also once we've got something, we've got some proof points, let's scale it up. And nobody is better at scaling quickly than large enterprises, they have, they have to be bought in. They have to get over their own internal inertia. But if they do, in partnership with entrepreneurs or governments that are being supportive, like here in the UAE, then scale can happen a lot faster. What is the reason for this increase of flow? Is it just that there's a lot more cash that companies have available now? They want to invest it in the right places? Or is there more focus on collaboration? That, hey, let's find the next big breakthrough and collaborate across the board what's going yeah, on yeah well collaboration's critical but that's uh that's a means to an end and so it's happening more because it works better it works better when we bring people together from across different lines different industries different roles in the world and an entrepreneur's role is to navigate through significant uncertainty and build and pursue a vision where others can't see an executive at a large established company's role is to take those extraordinary resources that have been built up over decades in some cases and shepherd them, steward them to remain successful in the future. Those are very different roles. But we find that when you're trying to create the future, you need the resources to invest. You need the existing customer base, the channels to market, the understanding of how the industry is today. And you also need the people who can re-envision how it should look in the future. Yeah, And that's where this starts to, to happen because it works. It's not just because people woke up one day and said, we need to be collaborating because somebody told me we need to collaborate. It's because the people who are better at collaborating do better. Okay. Their businesses do better. They make more money. And then other people say, I want to do that. Yeah. Now, for organizations, large enterprises, you, you do see 
leadership behave in a different way, right? Look at current leaders of large technology companies as an yeah. example, the Googles, the Microsofts. There's a shift in leadership as it was compared to 20 years ago, right? Uh, they've, they've become more people friendly. They talk the language of the common people and they don't look like large enterprises anymore. They look like your friends, right? Who doesn't oh. know Google? Everybody knows Google. We all love Google like it was our family member. How, what's that mindset change that's happening in the minds of people? Right? <laughs> what is that? Well, I think in terms of looking like a friend or a family member, it depends on which friend and which family. Because mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of people who would disagree yeah. in terms of a Microsoft or a Google and how they interact with them in their personal and professional lives. But I think what technology leaders, smart technology leaders have figured out is they have to care. They have to care what people think. They have to care what employees think, what potential talent that they might engage thinks. They have to care what consumers and citizens think. Yeah. In a way that, honestly, 20 years ago, people in Silicon Valley and Seattle, for instance, with Microsoft and Amazon, they, they would say, we're just going to build the best thing we're going to build, yeah. and then everyone will love it because we're making the world a better place, yeah. quote unquote. Uh, and they realize it's not as easy as that anymore. They have to engage. They have to think about how they're treating the world and treating each other, yeah. or they're not going to be long for this world. So I think that's the shift that you're seeing right now. I also feel that, you know, back in the days of, uh, without without being particular, like back in the days of Steve, uh, of Bomber with, with, uh, oh, with, boy. with Microsoft, yes. their whole take was, you know, just the product, the product, Windows, yeah. great. So that was one era. But now you look at Sundar Pichai, you look at Microsoft leaders, it's very different the yes. way they talk. And what I meant earlier was, here we go, Siri, Google Assistant, yeah. Alexa, they're they're in our homes now. There are yeah. there are everyday calling, you know, hey Siri, warm up my tea. I don't know. Well, you know what, Ian, I'm excited about AI, but I, ha I have to admit, uh, we don't have Siri or Alexa in our home, mm -hmm. uh, and that's not a religious thing, uh, but it is perhaps an abundance of caution. Yep. It is also that I find that, for me personally, Siri and Alexa are honestly at this point of limited value. Now. What's not of limited value is far better search. What's not of limited value is a truly capable AI system mm -hmm. that can take me places that I didn't even know I wanted to go. Yeah. And we're just starting to see this. There are some major transitions going on right now in, in, in the world. In fact, it's the subject of a book that I'm working on right now for Columbia University Press, Columbia Business School, yeah. called Proximity. And we could talk about that of a little course. bit if you yeah. want. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about Proximity. Tell us about the book. What is it about? So about 2014, I noticed that, so almost a decade ago, I noticed that everybody was paying attention to AI and Internet of Things and connected devices and all every sort of digital uh, 3D printing, rooftop solar. That doesn't sound digital, but they're all digitally enabled. Yep. They were all paying attention to them, but in isolation. What could I do with IoT? What could I do with, with uh, 3D printing, for instance? And I asked, what are common underlying dynamics that they drive across the economy and across industries. And what we discovered through the research was something so clear, once you hear it, you'll see it all over the place, but no one's really noticed. And that is in the digital technologies, because they allow us to distribute capabilities at smaller and smaller levels all around the economy, ever closer to each moment in time and space. Therefore, what they do is digital pushes the production and provision of value ever closer to the moment of actual demand in time and space. Yep. That's proximity. Mm -hmm. 
Now, understand what, I, what I'm not saying is just better supply chain management. That's important. That's great. It's much bigger than that. I mean, technology business model platforms that literally allow us to wait, to procrastinate until there's an actual customer ready to pay for something. And then the value add is done. And then the product or the service or the experience is created and provided right there where and when it's needed. Yeah. That's proximity. Yeah. I mean, that's changing fundamentally how we've traditionally done anything. Absolutely. Right? Uh, how do you think or, or which markets would you think would be the first to take that on board? Right. Would it be Asia? Right. Would it be India because of their scale of amazing talent? Would it be the Middle East or America? What's well, your take? There, there is a difference in how open different parts of the world yeah. are to trying these new things. But from what we're seeing, it's not so much a geographic question. It's more of an industry and value question. Mm -hmm. So to give you an example, the things that become proximate fastest are those that can be completely encapsulated into digital. So this sounds obvious, right? But remember a decade or so ago when Netflix announced they were going to be streaming? Yep. Their share price collapsed. Because people thought, oh my gosh, they're going to give all their value away digital. It's going to be stolen. Well, what happened? The opposite. So anything that can be completely digitalized can become proximate almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We, we take it for granted. You can watch any video you want anywhere at any time on your smartphone. And people say, okay, that's not very exciting, obviously. That's proximity. But it happened there first because all of the value is accessible through digital. Yeah. Now, yeah. take, for instance, physical products. Physical products are taking longer to do that because, of course, there's a the physical product, yep, yep. and I can't throw that through the internet. Yep. Right? But what I can do is I can put the plan to make that physical product mm -hmm. into a design file, download it into uh, a 3D printer, and print that exact thing, that yep. one copy of that exact customized thing that yep. I want at that moment. Yep. And we're starting to see this with physical products and to see it with experiences. Yep. Yep. So let me give you an example how radically different this is than the old 20th century industrial age model. Yep. Um, we all know pharmaceutical drugs, right? So the U.S. government, I'm sure the UAE government as well, has certain pharmaceuticals in stockpile just in case there's, for instance, a terrorist attack or something. Of course, yeah. There's a, an antibiotic we all know called ciprofloxacin, mm -hmm. just to use an example. It has a shelf life of two or three years. So if the government has 3 million doses of ciprofloxacin in a warehouse, every two or three years, they have to throw it out and make new pills. Today, there's a company called On-Demand Pharmaceuticals that came out of DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects mm -hmm. Agency. This technology is approved for military use and right now is going through process to be approved for civilian use. What can it do? It's about this big. It's the size of a small refrigerator. Yeah. You type, Essentially, you type in ciprofloxacin or atropine or whatever the drug is you need. And within a few hours, you have exactly the product you need and exactly the, if you need 300 doses, if you need 1,000 doses yeah. made right there on site. Right, right. Now, here's the punchline. That ciprofloxacin has a two or three year shelf life. The ingredients in this piece of equipment are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Mm -hmm. What's the shelf life of carbon? Forever. Forever. Yeah. That's it. So think about how dramatically different. So think about how, what impact this has for sustainability, yeah, of course. for eliminating waste in the world, for bringing generic drugs to places that don't have access to yeah. them now because yeah. they don't have production capabilities and they have to wait for 
Western companies to give them gifts. Yeah. With a technology like this, they can make the product they need where and when they need it and only as much yeah. as they require. Absolutely. And this is, you know, the model of that that Amazon perfected years ago with, with its book publishing. Yeah. You order a book and they will print it and they'll send it to you based exactly. on those specs. Yes. And you would never know uh, yeah. that it has been printed by Amazon. Yes. Um, I feel that, you know, this is such an exciting era when you can do print on demand, you can do the proximity uh, idea on, on things that it could, it could open up so many different possibilities. Well, right here in the UAE, Ian, uh, last time I was, I was here for the Charge Entrepreneurship Center in December, and while I was here, I went to visit uh, Bustanica, which is a crop one partner out next to the Dubai airport. It's a, the largest vertical farm in the world right now. Oh, wow. Currently operating. Not only was the produce produced there, I tried some, extraordinarily high quality, but it was so exciting to go to this vertical farm right next to a major airport. And the next day on my Emirates flight back to the United States, the salad I had on that flight was picked at that vertical farm the wow. day before. Oh, wow. That's an example yeah. of proximity that's happening right here in Dubai. Incredible. I love it. You know, we can talk so much more about what's going on quick take on yeah. proximity and government services governments how can these how can these work how can proximity work for governments great so one of the things we recommend uh, in the book and also when we're working with companies and organizations is start don't worry about the way the world is right now when you're when you're starting to think about the implications of proximity and how it might roll out in your part of the world don't start with the way the world is now ask yourself what would I love to have what would I love to know? So with respect to your citizens, say, if, if they could have anything wherever, whenever, what would it be? So don't let reality get in the yep. way at first. Yep. Yep. Once you've defined what citizens really want, when and where, and some of it will be crazy, so this is part of ideation, but you're going to discover that more and more you're going to be able to provide that mm -hmm. because technology will enable it. Another question we suggest to businesses, and I'd suggest to governments as well, is if you could know anything, anytime about any of your customers or any of your citizens, what would you want to know? Yeah, yeah. And technology can allow us to do that. Now, there are ethical issues to deal with. There are privacy issues that are going to be front and center for the rest of our lives, Ian. But the reality is that if you want to know it, if you want to yeah. provide it, you can increasingly because technology allows us to do things we could never have done before. I love it. Well, I hope you have an incredible time here at the summit. Thanks for being with us and sharing your ideas with our uh, with our readers. We'll look forward to that book, and after it's out, we'll have you back on on this on the series somehow uh, to tell the world about the book. But I thank can't you so wait. much, Ian. Thanks so much for the invitation. It's great Such to be back pleasure. in the UAE. Thank you so much. Great, everybody. Take care, and that's the end of this episode. Take care. Right.